Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. I'm here today with Mark Battaglia from ThinkFine. Thanks for joining us here today, Mark. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Good. Before we get started uh, talking to Mark, uh, I'm going to remind you, if you're listening and you would like to call in, Mark has agreed to uh, to take some questions. Our call-in number today is 646-595-4916. Let it ring, because we're only going to screen the calls after the commercial, during the commercials. Uh, now let me tell you what uh, we're going to have on uh, in some upcoming episodes. Tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon at 4 p.m., we're going to have Peter Wenzel. He is the CEO of General Data Company. Uh, Peter's company is involved with the healthcare industry in making barcoded slides and specimen collections uh, systems so that uh, someone's biopsy isn't mixed up in the hospital lab. And uh, it's a bad thing if someone is told they don't have cancer when they do, they don't get treated, and sometimes the labs would mix up the 17-digit numbers and tell someone they had cancer when they didn't have it. Uh, So he's built a, a company around barcoding, of slides. He's got labels for equipment. Uh, He's going to be talking about how he's built this company over the last 20 years. Next week, on Thursday the 10th, we're going to have uh, an insurance agent. Uh, Matt Dieter's got his own insurance agency. He has over 20 years' experience uh, in the industry, and he's agreed to talk about health care insurance and some of the things we can do today, no matter what happens in the uh, Obamacare health issue, to uh, protect our employees, and minimize our costs. On Friday the 11th, we're going to have uh, a manufacturing guy, uh, VP of sales of a company called Tiger Stop, Erlen Russell. Erlen uh, sells through distribution, the hardest way to sell, and they sell a materials handling system so that the saws can automatically get the maximum yield from wood cutting out knots to get the maximum yield. Uh, I guess aluminum and plastics don't have knots, but they do have lengths. And so his system figures out how to get the maximum yield of parts out of a particular raw stock. The uh, next week on the Thursday show, the last guy I'll talk about is a fellow named Matt Mountain. He's got a company called NextGen. 
a software specialty company. He only works with people who need to change CRMs from whatever they're using to Salesforce.com. And he handles data migrations, training to get the system working uh, well. And he also does it the other way. When someone wants to leave Salesforce and go to another system, he'll help you take it out of Salesforce and get your data into the into the next CRM. Uh, let me tell you a little bit now about uh, Thinkvine and Mark Battaglia. Thinkvine, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm going to go ad lib, uh, is a company that helps their clients in the business-to-consumer marketplace optimize the mix of media that they're buying to reach their target audience to get the maximum ROI. Is that a fair way to describe it, Mark? Maybe that's, you want to do better. No, that's uh, that's a really good description, really close. Uh, the only thing I would say a little bit differently mm-hmm. is that it's not just media. It's any type of marketing activity they want to do. So it might be TV media or print media. but mass, also, Typical mass media. Right. Or it might be, uh, for example, in the pharma market, we help people figure out what's the value of a doctor might recommend your drug. So it's really anything that you're doing in the marketing world can be part of the equation that we use. Okay, and doctors are easier to trace because they give prescriptions out, and the prescriptions, some vendor has got a database of how many times a doc prescribed this particular medicine or, or administered this particular vaccine. That's exactly right, and so that's, you know, everything we do starts with data, and that's great because that particular piece of data is, you know, very available and very accurate. It's immense. It's immense. I uh, worked several years ago with a dealer of tractors, another brand, not John Deere, and they had phenomenal information all across the country and they could compare the number of registrations of these tractors that were sold in Hamilton County versus uh, Franklin County, and they could find out whether or not the marketing or the sales were, were going as well as they should. Were they, were they getting their maximum market share? Uh, with your software, you can help a company figure out what the mix of media buys should be, how much they should invest, to go out to send detail reps to see doctors? Yes. So the four big things that we work on are how much should you spend on marketing mm-hmm. to get a good return? What's the timing of the spend? So, again, think back to maybe TV ads. Are you running a bunch at once? Are you going to spread them out over the year? And so on. So that's timing's the second dimension. The third dimension is the target. Who Who should you be targeting to get the biggest bang for your buck, and then finally, the tactics. You know, do I reach those people you know, over the air, on Facebook, uh, through you know, a digital out-of-home uh, billboard on the sign, whatever. So we're really working with those four dimensions. Social media makes a really big difference. We have uh, one client who is a 20-year-old young lady who is a... Uh, Aspiring NASCAR race driver. She's been driving for 12 years now. Got a bigger winning record than Danica Patrick. She's looking for a sponsor. And 
we ran across a potential sponsor for her here about two weeks ago, and I had to get uh, Sloan Henderson on the phone. And she wasn't out at one of the tracks. She was here in the Dayton area. So I picked up the phone, and I called her, as I would for anyone in my generation in business. But she's a 20-year-old young lady. So after I didn't get a call back from her for a day, I called her dad, who's also a client. He answered the phone right away. And she said, he said, oh, yeah, she, she's not good at answering the phone. So then I talked to uh, another one of my uh, my people who's uh, much more attuned to younger people. And he says to me, Mike, that was a terrible mistake. Sloan will only respond to you if you email, uh, text message her. So I sent her a text message, told her where I was and my cell phone number, what I wanted to talk about in the text. She had me back in 20 minutes. That's a great story. And it really goes to the point of what we do because um, I'm sure we'll get into it more as we work the way through the show, but different people want to be reached in different ways. They want to buy in different places. And part of the magic of, of what's in our software is helping organizations see the historical patterns and predict the future pr- patterns for people in their purchase of the product. Sure, and that's what people read, you know, the magazines. Mm-hmm. I'll confess this, I don't read many magazines anymore. But if you wanted to reach me and you sold something for a Mercedes car, if you advertise in the Mercedes-Benz Club Slip Glossy magazine, man, I read that thing cover to cover every month whenever it comes out. I can't wait to get the next issue. Well, that's great. And yet some others might not, right? Like the woman you talked about, she probably doesn't read that. And so... You know, what product am I selling and how do the people I'm trying to reach consume media? Mm-hmm. That's really the, consumption the guts of, the of what we're figuring out. Sure. You know, like that issue of Mac, Inc. Magazine over there uh, behind you, that, that's an issue that, that featured the story about my company and one of my clients. And so, yeah, I read that one. <laughs> but I'll, I'll bet just between you and me and whoever is listening, I didn't read Inc. Magazine cover to cover. Uh, in years, except maybe if I found it on an airplane. <laughs> so, Mark, uh, let me tell the folks a little bit more about your background because I, I jumped over that. You've been in the uh, marketing industry for about 20 years. Thanks for giving the low end of the estimate, Mike. I appreciate that. Okay. Well, someone clued me in on that. Uh, you, you've worked in uh, and played key roles in uh IPOs and, and leveraged buyouts, and you've helped uh, companies with additional rounds of funding. Uh, you've helped five companies go public. I'm not sure if that's the exact number, but it sounds in the ballpark. My whole life, I've been working for startup companies in the software business and the information services businesses, and the fun and the excitement of those early stage and growth companies is what I love to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, having the company be bought or go public is is the outcome you're shooting for, usually, all the sure. time. I uh, started my career in uh, inside the Fortune 1000 and wound up working for a guy named Bill Von Meister, who you probably never heard of. 
but he was a serial entrepreneur. He built companies to sell them. And the, la the last company he built before he died uh, prematurely of skin cancer was a company that came to be known as AOL. <laughs> and it, 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 it is exciting working in startup companies. You learn a lot, a lot faster. And I started up two or three of my own companies. Now, in, in your world, maybe the folks that haven't read the business Courier Flashes, there was a big news release from your company uh, this week. You want to tell the folks about that? Actually, there were two news releases well, from actually, us this week. Well, um, I only saw one there. No problem. Uh, one was, well, one might have been last week, but we recently won um, an innovation award okay. for our product in the marketing technology space, which is what we do. So mm -hmm. we were thrilled to get that as a company We, when we were real young. Uh, we were backed by Cincy Tech, and we also have um, some funding from the state of Ohio. So um, it was great to get recognition in our own backyard. Sure. Um, the other release talked about our other backyards, which is um, we also have an office in Phoenix now mm -hmm. and an office in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And our company has always had people around the country, but we're growing so fast, and we're God, we want to have people near our customers that we open some of our offices to be, you know, to bring those people together in Phoenix that are developing our software right. and to put our salespeople in an office near where some of our large customers are. We're still growing in Cincinnati, but we're growing now in three places, and that helps bring the talent that we want and need in the company to sure. bear. Approximately how many employees do you have now, Mark? We are uh, somewhere between 40 and 50. Okay, we're going to take a, a short break, and then we'll be back with Mark Battaglia Think Fine. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, Call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Mark Battaglia. Mark, you know what we forgot to do? We forgot to tell our listeners how to get a hold of you or anyone at Thinkbind if they hear something during the show that they might want to get some further information on. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for remembering that. I guess the two ways to do it are one is probably the best way, actually, is our website, www.thinkvine.com. And you can just go there and find, you know, phone number if you want to call us, or you can uh, send us an email and we'll get back to you right away. Okay. That's a good way. Let me ask you the next question. You you have some existing clients. You must have with 41 people. How do you go to market? Are you... Are you looking for more business from the existing clientele base, or are you aggressively looking for new business-to-consumer clients? We're actually looking for both. Um, we reach 
the, our target customers are large companies that mm-hmm. spend um, typically upwards of $5 million a year on uh, a marketing a brand, and they use a variety of marketing methods, so they need to figure out what the right mix of those methods are. And um, there's a lot of companies in the U.S. and around the world that fit that description. And so we know there are a lot of parties getting thrown out there that we're not getting invited to yet. So we are growing our sales force pretty aggressively. One of, one of my rules here, you'll love this one, is as a sales uh, VP, we need to participate in 100% of the desirable opportunities. Decide what desirable is. And I like that cutoff of no one who's spending less than a million dollars. So Sandler Corporate wouldn't be a client for you. Not yet, right? Well, we're only spending a million dollars, and I object to uh, them sponsoring a PGA golfer. (laughs) He's got to win to be worth something. You know, and Rollins hasn't won. Comes in second or third every once in a while. Still gets that uh, still gets that logo on TV though, probably. Yeah, yeah. The agency talks about getting eyeballs. If you haven't noticed, we don't have any PGA tournaments here in Cincinnati, so. It doesn't seem like it's a good spend. To me, I believe heavily in, for us, as a business-to-business consumer, uh, marketer, internet, uh, search engine optimization, pay-per-click, Google AdWords, that kind of stuff works. So if you were working with a nationwide company that was spending more than $5 million uh, to promote their brand, and we can pick on someone here in Cincinnati, like Roto-Rooter, because they're all over the country, or Stanley Steamer. I know what their budget is. Uh, how would you go? How do you go to market? How do you get in front of these people? Right. So we do a variety of different things to attract attention. We're marketing to other businesses, so we do a combination of thought leadership activities like this one, publicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do demand generation through the Internet. Um, we attend trade shows and conferences. Demand generation, a lot of folks might not understand exactly what demand generation is. It means uh, getting leads for our sales force or for our partners. And we do use both. We okay. have uh, five salespeople. Mm-hmm. Um and we have some business partners, large organizations who already work with the types of clients that I just mentioned to you. Ad agencies, do you mean? Not any ad agencies today, but we are speaking with some because we think that makes a lot of sense. One of the interesting things about our product is that because we're going to tell you what works and what doesn't, sometimes the ad agencies are a little bit nervous about what those results might be. Okay. Uh, I imagine, since I have some clients who are in the ad agency business, they like to believe that, that they have all the answers. Of course, I don't believe that, but they'd like to believe it. How do you get an agency to promote your services? Do they private label it? Most typically, they don't. Um, typically, what an agency is going to do is they'll approach their client and say, we're going to help you figure out how to spend your marketing budget in the best way. And they will, because agencies typically understand the customer's business well, they'll have the dialogue with the customer. Then they'll come back to us. We'll do 
the data collection work. We'll build the custom model for mm-hmm. the customer. We'll train the customer on how to use the software. But the agency will interpret the results for the client, and they'll work hand-in-hand to say, now that we've got information about what works in the past and what's likely to work in the future, let's figure it out together. So it's actually the manufacturer of the consumer packaged good that is using your software? That's right. So we have customers in the consumer packaged goods industry. Uh, We also have customers in pharmaceuticals, in financial services, and consumer services. And those brands are actually, people at the brands, are actually using the software in most of the cases. That's interesting. In financial services, okay, uh, one of Sandler's largest accounts this year, national accounts, is in the, uh, I put them in the broad category of life insurance, financial services, uh, and they go to market with a thousand sales reps in whether it's 300 offices or 264, I really don't know. How do you approach a uh, an insurance company? So typically, we would try to have an initial meeting with someone as high up in the marketing organization as possible because they're the ones who most likely want those big picture answers. How much are we going to spend? Where should we spend it? Who are we going for? So they're, they're the ones with the advertising or marketing budget. That's right. And typically the way we would work with someone like that is um, there's usually an initial introductory meeting Mm -hmm. where the executive and sometimes some of the more statistical or technical oriented people on their staff will be in that meeting and will do, you know, traditional exploration of what their business issues are and explain what we do and see if there's a fit, if we can give them the sorts of answers that they're looking for. And um, assuming that gets a thumbs up, um, you know, as with any enterprise software selling process, there's usually a whole bunch of other meetings as other people who are affected by the decision get involved. There's usually technical people who want to really understand what we're doing behind the scenes and Mm -hmm. dig into the statistical methods that we use. And then, um, and then we'll hopefully enter into um, a contracting process with them. Uh, and then once the contract is signed, um, we work in a we have a what we call a customer success group. Um, to us, it's not about whether the model is great or the customer likes us. It's about the customer succeeding in their business. So we label the group customer success, and those are really smart people who have that sort of triangulation of statistical technical knowledge to build the models, the ability to understand the customer's business the Mm -hmm. way a consultant understands the business, and then a knowledge of marketing techniques and marketing methods so they can, you know, come bring together a solution. So your example, the insurance company, uh, one of the wrinkles we deal with is insurance marketing is regulated. So not everything that um, might be available to, say, a customer like Hertz Rental Car, who's one of our customers, or Valvoline, who's another customer. Those guys have a lot more freedom in what they can do than an sure, insurance the marketing company. Marketing and sales guys and 
financial services world are hamstrung by their compliance departments. Right. So there's a an extra wrinkle of complexity. The good news is um, we love complexity because uh, we're building a pretty sophisticated model and, and lots of moving parts in terms of consumers and marketing options. The, the Boston Consulting Group just said there's a hundred different ways you can do marketing. And so all that complexity um, gets baked into our model and we think we do a good job of that. And so we like people like insurance companies because they're typically doing a lot of different things in marketing. That brings me to a thought. When you're approaching one of these packaged good consumer companies, are you uh, starting at the top with the, the CEO or you, you're, you're shooting only at this marketing functionality? Most typically in a consumer packaged goods company, it's either someone in the marketing group or um, often consumer packaged goods have um, a research team, which typically is called an insights group. And those are the two groups we most likely begin with. Um, oftentimes, the results of the work will be seen by the CEO, mm-hmm. uh, but they're typically not uh, in that early stage of the buying process. Interesting, interesting. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Sandler's original thought was start at the top. It's easy to go downhill, hard to go uphill. And so that meant calling on CEOs like yourself. And a few years ago, maybe two or three years ago, David Manson, our CEO, teamed up with Tony Paranella, and he wrote that book back there uh, called Five Minutes with Vito. Uh, Very important top officer. Uh, an interesting book. It made it to probably number 26 on the Amazon bestseller list. And to approach the real decision maker, starting at the top and then working your way down, in Paranello's words, if you start in Linoleumville, it takes a really long time if you're going to be successful at all. It's better to start with the real decision maker because Vito buys what Vito wants to buy. His decision-makers might make decisions if he tells them, tells them to go on the road. So uh, an, an interesting uh, methodology where we combined the Sandler selling system with a top-down Vito, uh, and I'll call it a four-step direct mail campaign to get the reps in front of the, the correct corporate officers. Identifying them is important. Uh, in, in your world, what are some of the biggest obstacles that you see? You, you have, you, you've got some, some nice corporate names in your roster of clients. Yeah, I'm thrilled by the customers we have. We have... Um, Probably, we're probably one of the very few companies that has the two largest names in soft drinks. Mm-hmm. not supposed to say who they are, but it's probably not that hard to guess. Yeah, it's probably uh, like Mike's soft drinks. Right. Um, we have some major CPG customers, um, major pharma customers. So, yes, we're, we're thrilled by the types of, of customers. And there you're have. talking about people, I would imagine, that are spending uh, well in excess of $100 million a year. 
nowhere near your low limit of five. That's right. Some of these, many of these companies are are well above that, uh, well above that number. Not only in total, but oftentimes just for some of their leading brands, they're sure. spending more. And, and they're and they're more sophisticated. When you when you go out to a uh, a nationwide handyman company that's spending five million dollars in advertising, uh, you, you're probably, in my experience, not going to run into uh, a sophisticated marketing department. If there's a marketing department at all, it's uh, one or two people who are making decisions with a uh, committee of franchise owners who are really busy running their own business and don't really know too much about marketing. And so when we're selling to those folks, um, there's a couple really big common obstacles. The first one is when you're running a major brand that all of us would know and you know, you have TV ads for it all over the world and all these other marketing methods, you think hard before you change what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe you don't, nec- maybe you haven't actually been examining what you have been doing too closely. Maybe that's habit. But something new and different, particularly in a large corporate setting for a big brand, is a big decision. And so one of the obstacles that we have to overcome is just that you know will i will i try something new will i change what mm-hmm. i've been doing yes i hear what you're saying think fine you're going to give me great information it's going to be more detailed it's going to give me better forecasts than i've ever had before but it's new and different and that's a little bit scary and so um when we work with those companies that Better mousetrap um, takes a little bit of, of convincing for people to do. Um, so that, actually, that's the number one obstacle. I know we're coming up to the break, so maybe afterwards we'll uh, fill you in on the second one. Good. Let's take a, uh, a short break and uh, listen to Sandler Rule number 15. Hi, I'm Rich Isaac from Sandler Training, and I'm here to talk about rule number 15. The best presentation you ever give is the one the prospect will never see. Now, let's start by talking about the fact that that rule should not be taken literally. Of course, there's an appropriate time to talk about your products, your services, your solutions, your prices. What happens is that most salespeople simply talk about it too soon. The prospective client will say things to them like, show me what you have, tell me what you can do and the salesperson, eager to show their credibility and to show their product knowledge, will go into presentation mode. And there's two problems with that. Number one, it's too early to make a presentation because the salesperson isn't knowledgeable enough about the particular situation the prospective client is facing. And second of all, it comes off like a sales pitch. And if there's one thing that prospective clients can't stand, it's someone making a pitch at them trying to convince them. Is there a better way, a better way to show your knowledge and build credibility with a prospective client? Actually, there are two ways. First, you can learn to ask better questions, more insightful questions. And second, you can learn to tell stories, meaningful stories that the prospective client will be able to relate to. Let me give you an example. Let's assume that I sell software to help companies run their warehouses more effectively. I might say, Sam, as the Vice President of Operations, I'm wondering if you ever run into these issues. A lot of people tell me that they have a real balancing act between reducing their inventory expense 
and still being able to handle just-in-time delivery. It's really challenging for them. Others tell me that they have a difficult time getting their staffs to follow the procedures in their warehouse as exactly and effectively as they could. Now, before I go on, I'm wondering if you can relate to either of those two things. Now, what did I just accomplish? Through simply telling a story and asking a simple question, I was able to show my credibility, show my knowledge, show my understanding of their business. In essence, I presented information in such a way that they got those things without me coming off like a salesperson making a pitch. Remember, if you want to really be the most credible professional salesperson, learn to tell better stories and ask better questions. Remember, if you get good at both of those things, the best presentation you ever give is the one the prospect will never see. This is Mike Roth again. I'm here with uh, Mark Pataglia. Uh, before we get started again, I just wanted to give uh, you folks that, who are following Sandler some really uh, important news. The new Sandler book, Sandler Success Principles, 11 Insights That Will Change the Way You Think and Sell, was released on the 24th of last month, and it has jumped up to the number one bestseller in its category on Amazon.com. And we'll be giving uh, Mark a copy of that before he leaves. And some of you have asked me or are wondering, Mike, when is the next cold call camp that you're running there at Sandler? The next cold call call camp. There's a tongue twister. (laughs) Where we actually make cold calls and teach people how to beat other people's voicemails and get by gatekeepers and get prospects engaged in conversation is June 27th. That's a full day. And if you mentioned that you heard about the cold call camp on the radio show, take a hundred dollars off the five ninety five cost of the day. Now, Mark, we were talking about how we overcome obstacles at uh, Thinkvine. Right. So uh, we talked a little bit about um, you know just how someone responsible for a big brand um, is slow to change for mm-hmm. good reason, and so um, when we work with the large companies that we mentioned, they often have multiple brands. And so what we'll find, for example, is we'll typically do business with one brand to start out. We'll give you a smaller brand to test the ThinkFind software on? Not always smaller, but uh, typically one at a time. Sometimes um, the business need around a big brand is, you know, drives them to try something new and different. But um, typically, we'll start with that initial brand, and we'll earn the right to do business with them in a broader way. And so, um, yeah, we're fine with that because um, we feel good about our people. We feel good about our software. We'd love to have somebody give us, you know, the keys to the car um, on the first day, but it doesn't happen all that often. Mm -hmm. Are you working with anyone who manufactures automobile tires? We're not yet. If you have someone in mind after the show, I'm I'm willing to take a note. <laughs> I don't know anyone personally, but I do know that Sandler in Akron has been exceptionally active in the uh, automotive sector. Uh, do you think people, your prospects, your prospect companies, are looking for someone like you now? Or is this going to be a... A discovery process that the prospect has to discover that they need something like what you offer. One of the great things about where we are 
in the market is that the wind is at our back. Um, which market, means? Yeah, which means that for that CMO, um, the world, I talked about the hundred different options they have in terms of marketing. They know that consumer behavior is changing rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about that earlier. And odds are that they're getting pressure from the CEO and the CFO to be more accountable for how they spend their marketing budget and the whole digital marketing and the the ability to get data about what's working and what isn't from the digital world is really driving people wanting to do more analysis and become more um, uh, effective with their marketing, more efficient with their marketing as well, both online and offline. So those factors are causing people to say, I need, if I'm not doing anything, maybe I better start doing something. And if I've been doing things in an old way, but I'm not happy with that result, or I feel like um, something's missing, maybe it doesn't keep up with the rate of change in the marketplace, mm-hmm. then I'll look to something new. So we're, um, you know, we were recently reviewed by uh, Forster, which is a software industry analyst group, as having the most innovative product in our category. And so with people looking for something new and Forrester saying these guys are really doing great stuff, that's a good combination for us, and it's helped us grow the business over the past six months or so since that came out. So are you guys more or less unique in, in, in that you have a end-user software package that allows people to optimize the mix of software to get the best ROI, or do you have competition? There is competition, and it's really, really of two types. Hmm. Um, the first type of competition is the way it's been done in the past. Um, for example, our founder, Damon Ragusa, um, worked with a lot of these large companies as a consultant. That's where he, you know, he did the same sort of work with them. He helped them figure out their marketing spend and their pricing and so on. And um, that's how it was done for many years. You would do a big consulting project, you'd get advice from a really smart guy, mm-hmm. and that advice would be put in a binder, and you'd be really excited about it for a day or two, and then you'd put the binder on the shelf. Yeah, I got a whole... Yeah, you've got a whole wall of binders, of binders there. And so that's... You know, there's still people doing it that way. Mm-hmm. And even though, you know, the information's kind of old the day you get it, um, there's a lot of comfort in doing it the old way. So that's one... The status quo. One, the stat, that's the biggest status quo mm-hmm. today. In terms of software, um, there are some other people who offer software products. Um, most of those people offer software that embodies the old way of doing it, which is regression analysis. Mm-hmm. We do a different type of underlying approach, underlying math. We do uh, a consumer behavior-based approach that simulates how people respond to your marketing. So if you know the game SimCity, where there's a town of people and you do make decisions about the town and you put rules in and then you know stuff happens in the town and you see what the outcomes are, right. we're like SimCity for a CMO. We've got a population that is demographically like the U.S. Mm-hmm. population of Sims. We've got the Sims for that. And then they also, in the way they consume media, are like the U.S. population. So our our simulated uh, audience 
Some of them wake up in the morning and watch TV, and some of them don't. Some of them go on Facebook, and others don't, and so on. And there's a whole bunch of math around and data around you know who does what, and it's really uh, we have some intellectual property that we've patented around the way you assign those activities to people so you get them to act like the real population does. And the VP of marketing or the CMO will take their marketing plan, they'll run it against the sim universe, and they'll see, do people buy my product or not? Mm -hmm. And then maybe they'll have an idea. Maybe they'll say, I want to do more digital now. Let's change our marketing plan around, run it through that audience, and see if that works better. Do we improve or not improve? Um, maybe their agency comes and takes right. them out to lunch. They might say, you know, hey, you ought to spend more money marketing towards, you know, uh, maybe Hispanics, let's say, because right. that's often a target group. So yeah, they would just a, test that. Yeah, right. And, and they test it. That's an iterative approach. That's right. You know, we're going to run our ads in Spanish. Uh, forgive me for saying that, Mike Robinson. He runs uh, La Verdad here in Cincinnati. Eventually, he'll come on the show. Okay. But the testing against an audience, while it does have some validity, it costs money to run the test. It does Sometimes if you have to go out money. to the market and test it. Oh, yeah. If, you got, if you're going to run you know, big ads in a uh, Spanish-language newspaper versus putting it in the Cincinnati Inquirer, you know, you're talking about, I don't know, four grand a day? For one ad? Yeah, so it's depending on what you're thinking of doing, it can often be both for reasons of cost and speed. Really smart to try it in a simulated world before you roll it out and spend lots of money and then you know find out did that help or hurt. Another thing that happens to a lot of companies, unfortunately, is CFO comes down the hall and maybe they say commodity prices are off, we're going to cut the marketing budget because we need to deliver the earnings per share we promised Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And the marketing guy has you know, 24 hours or 48 hours to make a whole bunch of changes and, and meet that corporate goal. What's the smart way to do it? So they'll use our software to do it because, again, they can quickly go to the software, run their marketing pan, plan against the simulated audience, and see what the results are, not only by total dollars, but how did each group do? Which marketing vehicles were working well, et cetera? So there's a rich set of information that they can use to to learn things and try something different. So, so they'll get feedback that uh, radio worked better to reach women from 30 to 45 years of age than magazines would have. Yeah, exactly. That's the exact kind of finding that they'll get. And so then they might, going back to your comment about agencies, they might go to their agency and say, hey, we've been spending a bunch of money over here. Let's shift the money over there. Let's make some new spots, whatever. So we're given that strategy level. How do I allocate my budget? And then we partner with the agencies, and the agencies execute within that strategy and get them the sort of audience that they want to have. Mm. And it's always in this business to consumer line with a a track or like pharmaceuticals, that's trackable. That's right. Right now, the the Sims, the population, um, they're consumers. They're individuals. We don't have them in companies yet. So um, in theory, it could be done. We could do B2B, but we haven't done that work, and 
right now with business being great, it's not something that's around the corner for us, but um, the technology um, is its potential to do that, among other things within yeah. the technology. It, it would seem that the marketing people in the automotive sector should be great prospects for you because they're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's its not $5 million, Yeah, hundreds of millions. Absolutely. I think that um, that's one of the industries where we'd love to grow. We don't have customers in there yet, but um, we would love to – anybody who does, business to consumer is a target. And um, the more – again, the more you're spending, the more complex the marketing path you're taking, uh, the better – the chances are that our software will help you be more efficient and get a better return on your marketing investment. Good. Let's, uh, let's listen to a uh, another Sandler rule, and then we'll be back with uh, with Mark in a minute or two. All the rules have the same music. Yeah, I noticed that. When you started, I was watching go back and forth. Hi, I'm Jeff Nail. I'm here to talk to you today about rule number 10, develop a prospecting awareness. Prospecting, the act or process of getting new customers for our business, puts us in front of a lot of people. And they fall into one of two groups. They're either suspects, people we don't know yet and don't know well, or prospects those with whom we have established a connection and they are interested in talking with us about what we sell. And prospecting is a bit like the carnival game that you may have seen called Duck Pond. Duck Pond is a game where there's a tub filled with water and yellow rubber ducks floating on the surface. Each duck has a number on the bottom that corresponds to a prize. And for the price of a ticket, you get to pick one of the ducks. Most prizes aren't worth the price of a ticket. But there are a few prizes there that you might actually want. The trouble is, you have to sort through a lot of ducks to get the prize that you want. Prospecting is really a similar game. We have a large group of suspects, and within that, a smaller group of prospects. The problem is, suspects who are about to turn into prospects look a lot like suspects who are about to say no. At Sandler, we teach salespeople to engage in what we call three-foot rule prospecting. And the three-foot rule simply says that anyone you can touch or within three feet of you represents the potential for doing business. You must strike up a conversation to determine whether that person is qualified to move from suspect to prospect. Each attempt brings you one step closer to the big prize. So develop a prospecting awareness. I'm Jeff Ney with Sandler Training, rule number 10. Well, this is Mike Roth. I'm back with Mark Battaglia. And, Mark, before we run out of time, I, I figured I'd ask you a, a tough question. Is that fair? That's fair. One of my favorite questions is uh, maybe you could tell our audience how you guys came up with a complex solution to a complex problem that you had, something that's uh, maybe universally applicable to other industries and other businesses and the thought process that you, you use to get to that complex solution. Sure. So 
you know, I'm tempted to talk about our business some more because it is a everything we do is a complex solution to mm-hmm. a very complex problem. But I think you're looking for something that's more about how we operate the business. Right, right. Something tangible. Yeah. So one of the things that um, is true for us is we've got um, customers um, using the product. We've got a customer success team working with the product. And then we've got a different set of folks developing the product. And so we've got to make um, that link from the customer through to the developer um, really good. And we have to make smart choices about prioritizing the development work we do. And so um, we take a cross-functional approach to that. We have um, lots of really smart people who um, come up with different ideas uh, in response to the problems that our customers are trying to solve. So we interview our customers. They tell us, here's the additional things we'd like to do with the software. We have an R&D group um, here in Cincinnati, some really smart folks that both understand marketing and understand uh, statistics, Mm -hmm. the type we do. So they do prototyping of the ideas, and they test it within the software sort of off to the side. And then once those guys feel like they've got the software working the way they want it to, that all the things are valid in terms of the answers they're going to give the customers, we then take their work and give it to the engineers, and the engineers then code it into the main software and put a user interface on it so that our customers can easily use the new functionality that's been created. And So you're actually still developing your software custom uh, as requirements come up from your end users. We're um, still developing it. We think that innovation in the capabilities of the software is one of the things we're best known for. You know, the Cincinnati uh, Innovation Award being one sure. example of that, the Forrester recognition being another. And um, we're, we expect that we're going to keep developing the software, not only the, the math, so to speak, but also how we use data as new types of marketing vehicles produce new types of data. And we're going to keep working on that forever, <laughs> realistically. Um, well, that's the only thing a, a good software company. You know, yeah. When you buy a copy of Microsoft Word and I buy a copy of Microsoft Word, they're identical. So what you're saying is a new customer comes to ThinkVine with a new requirement you guys will actually go back to the engineering drawing board, find the solution, figure out how to integrate it into your product, and upgrade your product to incorporate the solution. Yeah, so we're not developing, if we have 30 customers, we don't have 30 versions of the software. We have one version, but the way those new ideas come to us often are from customers. Now, sometimes it comes from our staff and reading they're doing in other fields and how is you know how is the academic world thinking about marketing what's mm-hmm. changing what rules should we be using for to guide the sims behavior um so it comes from a variety of places and then the software incorporates all that innovation across the customer base and then we use the software to build a model that's custom 
to each business. So the way people buy, uh, I mentioned Valvoli, the way people buy motor oil is very different than the way people buy pharmaceuticals or that they buy financial services or whatever. So we've got uh, a shared sim world. Mm -hmm. We've got shared technology in terms of math. We've got shared data. But then we also get data from our customers that's specific to their business. We get market research that they might have about how customers buy. You know, do I buy, uh, you know, one at a time? Do I buy in bulk at Costco? You know, whatever. We're, we're incorporating that into the model. So sure, Valvoline would fit there. But yeah. a financial services advisor selling his services to end-user end consumers they're not going to be buying in bulk. Right. So it's a very same universe about same. how people respond. Right. And how people have habits in terms of media. So, you know, if, if the the motor oil buyer and the financial services buyer, they might both see your ad online. They might see it at the same TV show, whatever. So there's consumer preference that's, that's the same, but different model for each, each yeah. company. Okay. And... They both might use a mass media or, or a print ad that would work for the financial services advisor in, say, Cincy Magazine, Cincy Magazine or Cincinnati Magazine uh, wouldn't necessarily work well for Valvoline oils. Right, and you know some stuff like that. You know, if you and I can figure that out, they can figure that That's out. That's an easy simulation. Right. But the, the more complicated, your point was a complex problem when you've got a hundred different choices, and um, you're trying to build software to support decision making across all them. You need to use a combination of you know customers' ideas mm -hmm. that bring the software forward, the talent and and creativity of your staff. Sometimes specialized people like we have in the R&D world who, who really are excellent at applying that higher level thinking and then coding. You've got to make it happen, right, sure. in software. So, so does that imply that you you have variable pricing based on how difficult the implementation is for that particular product? We don't um, vary our pricing by complexity. There is some difference in pricing by industry because uh, industries have use marketing vehicles in different ways. And so yeah, it's sort of a complexity factor there. It also has to do with, in the consumer packaged goods world, um, there are some brands that don't get as much marketing investment as others. Mm -hmm. And so um, the budgets we're working with there are sometimes smaller than, you know, think about um, an electronics world where a single brand might be... Sony. Uh, Sony would be you know, a much bigger, higher-level brand, and so there's a, a much bigger budget involved there, and, and the value we deliver is greater. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we do have a little bit higher prices in some markets. Right. And it's it's also variable on the, the product line, the Valvoline, which is more or less a packaged good, mm -hmm. whether it's the same as Tide or not, we can argue, yeah. but it, that's a great deal different than your Pharma. And you know, miles away from uh, the other product line, which was highly specialized, right? And needing so, research, yes, and engineering and coding, uh, 
it would seem that that would be a much more expensive and time-consuming project. Yeah, so um, complex product of, project of serving folks in different markets, doing a fairly complex, ever-changing array of things. And we've built this cross-functional team internally where you know we're, we're working from from the customer through our customer success team to R&D, back to our engineering and making that all coordinate. And then we have, um, we typically release new capabilities about every three months so that we can keep up with, uh, keep our market leadership position. So have you done anything towards the automotive industry at all? We have not, we don't have any clients in automotive yet. But could you address that market? Absolutely. Because it seems they're, a, a multitudes of markets uh, shaping up there. Yeah, and I think that the automotive industry is, um, you know, going through a lot of change. They're doing a lot of experimentation with digital marketing, um, and so that's a good, a good one for us. We think uh, we just haven't had that business happen for us yet. Well, you have to go up to Montreal, New Jersey, and visit a couple of folks up there. I might even be able to get you a couple of names. Uh, let's just uh, kind of wrap it up in here. Again, Mark, if they want to get in touch with you to find out how ThinkVine can help them with their consumer packaged goods marketing, they should look at your website. Yeah, best spot to go, www.thinkvine.com. Good. And if you have questions for me, again, Mike Roth, get, get a hold of me uh, here in the office at 513 513- Seven five three nine four zero zero. Any last uh, comments, Mark? Well, Mike, I just want to say thanks for having me on. It's been fun to uh, see how the magic happens behind the scenes and and to talk with you and um, uh, just to really appreciate it. Good. And if you can think of anyone you know that that should be on the show, I'm looking for guests for the month of June. And if anyone listening. Uh, knows anyone who should be on the show more than happy to talk to them uh, we've got a, a few people lined up but we're, we're looking for for guests in June uh, again Mark thanks for coming and joining us Scott why don't you take it away thanks for listening if you have questions or comments contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753- Nine four zero zero.